The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen of PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chulo Radio is celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, and I am your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-host, Jeff Breeruz. Hey, Central City. Welcome back. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 7, Episode 14, which was titled Oreo de Luz and aired June 22nd, 2021. I shall, of course, defer to Jeff on my Spanish pronunciation. Uh, here's the official synopsis of the episode. When Ultraviolet returns to Central City, Allegra is determined to find her cousin and change her heart. Meanwhile, Joe finds evidence that Kristen Kramer may not be the good cop she appears to be. And a little note, this episode was directed by series regular Daniel Panabaker. Okay, it starts out, we have to get Barry out of the way, whether for social distancing reasons or just because he's the star of the show and he needs a break. So Barry tells the team that he and Iris are going on a vacation and will be conveniently off the grid for a while. Uh, Allegra gets a citizen tip line about Ultraviolet and leaves to check it out. She later meets with Chester at uh, Jitters and tells him that Ultraviolet is in Central City and she has to make things right with her cousin. Right about then, Ultraviolet shows up at Jitters to confront her, but before Ultraviolet can take Allegra out, Sue Dearborn shows up and stops her. In the absence of OG Team Flash, Allegra and Chester have to carry the story this episode, and we might also get a bit of development of their relationship, something we have speculated on in the past. Uh, Jeff, what do you think of the chemistry between the two characters? I liked it in a weird way. I can't really wrap my head around her calling him Chuck and her being the only one that calls him Chuck. It just seems wrong to me, but um, but I I don't mind them together. Uh, They're both the newbies. Allegra has, uh, well, let's be real. I think they've both been characters on the series for about the same time. We've seen more of Allegra than Chester because Chester sort of, you know, came in and out and came in and out uh, the previous season, but Allegra was a consistent character last season. So we've had more time with her on screen. So we know her a little bit better. Um, and it makes sense that they're going to give the newbies uh, an episode to um, to shine, uh, or at least for to allow the the viewers at home to get to know them a little bit better. A little bit better. We we knew about her cousin. We've seen her a couple times, so we knew about the relationship dynamic. So bringing that back made sense as well. But specifically about them together, them carrying the show, I thought they did a fine job. I know the internet seemed to think a little differently. Uh, basically, everybody said that Sue's face when she reacted to them, you know, to her being told, you know, this is 
the team for the moment, she was kind of like, uh, that was kind of like, I guess, the face that a lot of the fandom was giving. But I didn't mind it. I mean, it's a large cast. They're all going to have to carry their weight at some point. And at least as far as them together, working together and, and the chemistry, uh, just as, you know, two team members, that worked for me. As far as the romantical stuff, we can discuss that, uh, I guess, a little bit later whenever you bring it up, Professor. Oh, I wasn't going to bring it up ever again. Uh, Over in the B story, Cecile and Jill go over their research about Kramer and find evidence of a secret meeting between Kramer and someone else that could point to Kramer being part of the ambush that killed her unit. However, Joe isn't fully convinced she's a bad guy just yet. Now, an overarching theme of this episode, we'll be talking about in a minute, is trusting your heart, which is what Joe does. Uh, Jeff, did you buy his reluctance to believe the worst about Kramer and give her a chance to explain herself? Based off of what he said in previous episodes, I bought it because Joe was selling it. Did I buy it for myself? No. Like, it just he seemed like hella sketch. She was hella sus. It was incredibly suspicious. Like, I don't really understand why... Like, if it was me and, you know, doing the investigation, like, I would have been like, okay, she did something shady. But because Joe has consistently said now for many episodes, you know, I know deep and de- deep down she's a good cop. You know, she's trying to do the best thing. She's trying to do this. Like, I, 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 I'm buying it because it's Jesse L. Martin and it's Papa Joe and I trust his instincts. But I, I still wasn't buying it as far as Kristen Kramer, period, because she sort of proved to me that she is an untrustworthy character. Yeah, I think you're right. If it was anyone other than Papa Joe saying this, we'd be going, wait a second, and, and hurting our eyes from the eye rolling. But yeah, I, you know, Jesse Martin does bring that gravitas, that that sense of accomplishment, uh, you know, to the role. You know, he's he's earned our trust just like he's earned, you know, the trust of the people of Central City. So when he says, you know, I'm, I'm following my gut on this, um, it, it makes sense. And also, you know, it, it holds to, you know, what Joe would do. You know, Joe is the sort of person who, you know, a, as a cop, he w- wants to hear her side of things before he uh, he goes and makes us think about it. So, yeah, even though I might not agree with it coming out of the mouth of any other character, uh, coming out of Joe's mouth, uh, it, it does make sense. Uh, back at Star Labs, Sue explains the rumors of Ultraviolet being in Star City is why she stuck around, and she's horrified to realize that they all they have to stop her is Chester, Allegra, and Caitlin. Uh, because <laughs> Ultraviolet is in town to kill someone, they have to stop her. So Sue's able to figure out where Ultraviolet is headed and fortunately has a device that can stop her. Sue and Allegra track Ultraviolet to a clinic and use the device to stop her. However, it turns out the person she was trying to kill was the doctor, who she claims made her into a monster. It wasn't a mark that she was hired to take out. And how did you feel about this reveal? Did it change anything, finding out that Ultraviolet's motivation was personally wanting to ice the guy rather than doing it for money? It did a little bit for me. Uh, I don't know why, because, I mean, a murder's a murder. But it seemed like a justifiable murder. Like, it made sense that she would want to get revenge on the person that turned her into a monster. So that... I guess, I don't know if you want to call it a twist, but that uh, surprising reveal, or whatever you want to call it, uh, worked for me. Um, I I didn't mind it, and I thought it was an appropriate justification for what she was doing. 
Yeah, I, I personally, I didn't feel like, and, you know, cause, you know, the way she sort of, you know, exploded at them and, you know, um, it, it's not like she was, you know, I guess it, it did, well, as we'll talk about in a second, it turns out that the doctor was still doing the sorts of things to other people. So maybe she had a motivation, but I think they could have done a better job of if she was doing it for a reason that was anything other than purely revenge. But it did just seem like it was a revenge killing. And so they were right to stop her. Uh, so soon, Allegra questioned Ultraviolet back at Star, and she tells him how she got her mask, revealing how the black hole surgeon cut her voice out of her, and she claims he's still doing it to others, and shows her scars while blaming Allegra for everything that's happened to her. Uh, Allegra agrees to work with Ultraviolet to find the doctor, even though thinks this is even though Sue thinks this is a very bad idea. So let's talk about Allegra. She's not my favorite character as a general rule. Um, I just don't think she brings much to the team, and I'm not crazy about the actress playing her. Um, she has, however, clearly drunk Barry's talk no jitsu Kool-Aid, and she's convinced she can redeem Ultraviolet. So she asks herself, what would Barry do? And actually does it, releasing the Stone Cold Killer. Memo to any members of Team Flash. What you do is you ask, what would Barry do? And then you do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about Allegra and her quest to save her cousin? Okay, before we get to that, Professor, so she has her vocal cords taken out, but she can still talk? Like, I was very confused by that. Presumably it's the mask picks up something. I don't know. Speaking of picking up something. Hey, uh, sadly, my body was on its own schedule. Yes, you bad chicken wings? Nah, I mean, bad is relative, right? The food was delicious. It just... Okay, it just... You know... Yeah. It had to travel on its own schedule. Okay. We'll just, I just, we'll just work Dimitri and seamlessly. With my window open, I'm, I'm going to close it now. Okay. Um, yeah, the professor will just ask you a question, and it'll be as if you were always here. Cool. Okay, so Jeff, I'll have you answer the question I just asked, and I'll direct the next one to Dimitri. Okay. Um, okay, so Allegra, uh, what did I think of her? Okay. All right, Professor. Well, I guess that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I was still very confused. I was like, how is she talking? But anyway. Um, okay. So you don't seem to care for Allegra. I'm sort of neutral. I, I don't know if I like her or if I dislike her. So far, she's kind of just there. And, and I do like her interactions with like some of the members of Team Flash. And I wish that they would explore some of it a little bit more. Like her bond or whatever with Frost is interesting to me. Uh, the Well, I guess you don't like the whatever it is that they're doing with her and Chester. But I'm, I'm open to that. Uh, I'm interested as far as her and her quest with her cousin it made sense to me like it makes sense it's her family you know she she understands that her cousin feels like she betrayed her and that's why her cousin you know went on this path some of it is because of that so she feels responsibility towards esperanza like i i get all that so i understood her plight in this episode i understood wanting to help her cousin out. It made sense to me. Um, she's Latina, and, and, you know, for Latinos, it's all about family, as it is for many other cultures. And so I can I could understand that. Um, hopefully you have a question later on about her Spanish, because I will have a grade for her about that. Um, but, yeah, but, it, I mean, it, I, I understood where she was coming from. I understood why she was doing what she was doing. Um, the Takno Jitsuing of it all... I mean, we could discuss that separately, I guess, if you want. Um, are they overdoing it or not? I don't know. Well, probably yes. But, yeah, I guess, I mean, it, the motivations made sense is basically what I'm trying to say. 
Okay, we will re- return to that a little later. But okay, good. before we get there, let's uh, go back to our B-plot. Joe goes off to visit Kramer in her office and shows her the evidence he's gathered about her just to get her side of the story. But instead of talking with him, she screams at him to get out and threatens to arrest him if he tries <laughs> to take her down. So good measured reaction there, Kramer. Yeah. Uh, Joe talks to Cecile and realizes something is very wrong, but he still thinks there's some piece missing. He thinks he might need to go to the governor now, but he gets a message from Kramer asking him to meet, and he agrees to do it. Dimitri, were you surprised by Kramer's reaction when Joe showed up in her office, and did it make you think she was guilty of something? Definitely did make me think she was guilty of something. I I gotta say, like, I think in ordinary times, that reaction would have been very surprising. But on a show that highlights that one character is all about hate, and one character is all about love by literally making her heart glow, I wasn't expecting too much subtlety from the rest of the episode. So it seemed to me like they're just trying to do like, oh, she reacted badly, and it's worse than anyone would have reacted, but The Flash seems to be going for kind of like overdramatic reactions in, in a lot of these recent episodes. I honestly... It, it was one of those situations where I was inclined to trust Joe's instinct. It did seem to be more plot-driven than, like, acting-driven, I will say. Like, if I was just watching her reaction, I would have been like, she is 200% guilty. But I think uh, Joe saying, oh, something tells me there's more to the story. I think that was the writers being like, all right be slightly more sympathetic to this character and so um that that kind of made me think okay by the end of this she's gonna be like a a sympathetic character again although myself i thought like her character's reaction was way out of line like Mm -hmm. joe take her to the governor take her to the president drag her ass out of your office you do not disrespect papa joe in that manner can we also just talk about the fact that she threatened to arrest him? What the fuck was she going to charge him with? Because you have a folder of my past. Like, I don't... I can have you arrested. Like, it was like, what the fuck was that about? Like, that was extremely over the top. Like, her reaction was insane. Like, batshit crazy insane. But then, to add that, add to that, you're going to get arrested. I'm like, what the fuck did he do? And what the hell can you charge him with? So you're saying there's no history of uh, black men being arrested for no reason in American uh, judicial system? Interesting. Um, moving on. Uh, Ultraviolet tries to train Allegra on how to better, which is to say more lethally use her powers, but Allegra struggles. So Stu steps in, Sue steps in and goes Ultraviolet into fighting her, leading to Chester getting hurt in the process. It looks like Ultraviolet may just be a lost cause. We talked about the whole talk no jitsu and don't do what Barry would do in this case because she leaves to seek out the doctor herself. Jeff, let's talk a little bit about Ultraviolet, and this gives you the opportunity to grade people's use of Spanish. We get some backstory and motivation. What did you think of her as the baddie of the week? Um, I, I, you know, I've mentioned you know, my feelings towards Allegra. I've also been a bit unimpressed by Ultraviolet as a villain so far. Okay. Your Spanish gets like a B, B minus. Um, it's rayo de luz. You said rayo, which is fine. It's, you know, a non-Spanish speaker's pronunciation of the word uh i will say this because i've been really hard uh, on like all of allegra's spanish and that's because i 
maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am, because I, I just don't know her background and that sort of thing. I do know she has a Latin background, but I feel like she is not, like, a native speaker. I also feel like she maybe doesn't speak it as much at home, because her pronunciation, at least all last season, was horrible. Like, she sounded like a like Caucasian person speaking Spanish. Like she had no accent and uh, it was just, it was rough. It was really, really rough. It was like uh, first, uh, you know, semester, you know, Spanish for non-Spanish speakers. It was just, it was rough. I will say this. I don't know if she worked on it. I don't know if it was the fact that she just had maybe one full line in Spanish and then the rest was just saying esperanza, prima, and, you know, just words. But it sounded much better. And maybe it's just the writers writing to her strength. So the fact that she didn't really know that good with Spanish, you know, they, they were able to write to her strengths and it actually sounded much better than all of last season. Esperanza clearly is a Spanish speaker, so her Spanish was perfectly fine. I will say this. I was impressed by Sue's Spanish more than I've ever been, you know, out of uh, Allegra. Sue was fantastic. She knocked that shit out the park. Okay. As far as Ultraviolet, once again, I don't mind Ultraviolet. Uh, You know, they used her the way that they used her last season. She was a black mask uh, assassin. That all made sense. Uh, I mean, for for being sort of like just you know like this the um, it wouldn't be sibling the um you know f- family member of you know one of the main characters and they're a villain uh, she sort of played the part as best as she could giving her the nuances in this episode was okay you know i i didn't mind getting to know her a little bit more. I didn't mind getting into her mind and sort of understanding the position that she is in right now. That was okay for me. I mean, it wasn't anything stellar. It wasn't horrible. It was just okay. Like, I I understood everything that they were, you know, expressing on the screen. And it was fine for what it was worth. And it was nice to see a villain who was, you know, using proper mask protocol. So that's uh, always good to see. Exactly, yes. Uh, Sue implores Chester to convince Allegra to give up, but uh, instead he has an idea about how to help her. Uh, Sue then goes to try to convince Allegra to stop herself. In the process, Sue reveals that by the time she was able to get her parents out of Black Hole, she was unable to save them. They were in too deep and didn't want out. Allegra counters that by saying that just means she needs to pull harder to get them out. Uh, Demetri, what do you think about the dynamic between Sue and Allegra? I know Sue's not your favorite. Uh, Allegra's not my favorite, so this should be fun. Um, but there was sort of a, an attempt at parallel stories. You know, the, uh, the attempt to, you know, Sue trying to rescue her family and, and Allegra trying to rescue her cousin. Did you think it worked at all? Or, or you know, what was your thinking about uh, this particular dynamic between these two characters? So Sue has historically not been my favorite in terms of, uh, you know, I always felt like they were trying a little too hard. Actress was overacting a little bit. The writers were definitely, like, trying really hard to make this a likable character. I feel like everybody relaxed just a hair and made this character slightly more enjoyable or at least palatable. Um, I do feel like the, um, the Allegra sort of Esperanza... Uh, relationship was something that we we could have um, 
use more of a build-up for. We have seen it in past episodes, but then we do sort of take a, a real departure from that. And we've, by the time of this episode, all but forgotten that this was a thing. And then we're suddenly <clears throat> knee-deep in it. <clears throat> this would have been, in my opinion, the perfect time to start out with like a flashback scene that's like little Allegra on the playground getting jumped and Esperanza steps in and kicks the bully's asses. Something to make us care about these two before we jump into this conflict. Because it, I felt like we were suddenly knee-deep in, should she jail Esperanza? Should she save Esperanza? And it's like, we're not adequately invested in this relationship. But I thought um, once you get over that that lack of buildup, it it was an interesting point. Um, And I I do think the fact that it was a a semi-sympathetic storyline also made, you know, her and Sue butting heads over it a little more palatable than I than I feel these characters have been before. Professor, I don't know if, if Allegra warmed to you at all. Huh. Not terribly, no. And, and I don't know whether it's, you know, my my antipathy towards the character, but when she said, you know, you just have to pull harder. I just wanted, you know, I wanted to go, bitch, please. A, you don't know my life, and B, when you're trying to save a drowning person, they'll pull you under with them. So, no, you're wrong, Allegra. You let go of them if you can't save them. Um, I thought it was like, yeah, just just totally tone deaf. And, you know, for Allegra, who is, you know, a younger person to, you know, be talking to someone who is, you know, older and has more life experience, and she knows nothing, clearly, of, of, of Sue's backstory or anything like that. I just felt, oh, my God. And I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, the old man and me shaking his fist at a cloud, but it felt so you know, uh, you know, so, you know, young person, you know, uh, spouting their superior wisdom of being ignorant that, uh, it pissed me off. Um, professor, you're actually right about that. And and that conversation started off really well because I like that Allegra checked Sue's privilege. I thought that was a really good line, but at the end of the day, they don't know each other. So it was hella weird that they were having, you know, the important conversation where something incredibly profound is supposed to be said, and that's going to send them off on their, you know, righteous way, uh, you know, in, in the next scene. And it fell flat because they don't know each other. So it, it, it wasn't like the outsider looking in, you know, it was, it was a conversation where they were trying to make connections about each other's lives, and it really didn't work. And and I do agree with Dimitri they should have started off with a flashback, you know, to the younger days of Allegra and Esperanza. Like, I think that would have worked better than the ridiculously overused, uh, here's a scene in the middle of the action, and then we flash back 18 hours or something like that. I'm so fucking sick and tired of that opening. They could have just done a flashback, and it would have made more sense. And we've we've seen the writers write successfully a tease for an upcoming storyline the cecile thing i think is a great example we saw her in the background two episodes ago why is she here and then in the next episode you know we see her you know acting a little suspicious and then we get her storyline 
they should have sprinkled around, you know, in, in a couple of episodes ago, that Allegra, you know, she's researching something, but she's being kind of shady about it. And then, oh God, she's researching it again, and she's being a little shadier. And then we get the answer as to why she was being shady, because she was secretly looking for her cousin. I think that would have been a great buildup, even if it was just a tiny little buildup, but just to remind us that her cousin is out there, and... uh they they completely dropped the ball with that in this episode. Yeah, I wonder if to a certain extent it, this is a, a consequence of, of COVID, because maybe the writers of the episode were assuming that everyone would have been out, you know, watching the new Fast and the Furious movie, which means everyone would be thinking it's all about family. Uh, and let's not forget, Allegra has released a mass murderer onto the streets. So uh, <laughs> Allegra goes to try to solve her little problem again, following the Barry playbook of do something incredibly stupid and then try to fix it. Uh, she gets in the facility and gets in over her head despite Chester's best efforts. But Sue shows up, of course, to save the day for her again, allowing Allegra to go after Ultraviolet. Let's talk a little bit about the fight scene. I mentioned that this episode was uh, directed by Daniel Panabaker. And as we'll talk about in a minute, uh, Flash episodes tend to be a little CG heavy. Uh, I liked the uh, this sort of old-fashioned fight scene, Sue versus Six Goons. Uh, Jeff, what did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was fine. I thought the choreography, the fight sequence, fight choreography, whatever you want to call it, I thought that was fine. Uh, I thought her sort of, like, ingenuity was good. Uh, I liked her, um, you know, one-liners, the sass that she brought to the fight, I thought was well done as well. Uh, I found the fight to be enjoyable in, uh, you know, a weird sort of way. But I do like Sue, so Sue made the fight a little bit better because she brought the sass. Uh, Dimitri, you don't like Sue and uh, you disliked uh, an earlier, not in this episode, but in a previous episode where, you know, Sue was uh, using dancing maneuvers uh, to get around a series of lasers. Uh, how'd you like the fight scene? Um, I liked it better uh, than a certain other character's fight scene, perhaps with her cousin, um, that was like hilariously bad um i think sue the the actress who plays sue uh sort of brings a believable physicality to the fight scenes i use the term believable very generously but she seems to at least have the you know control of her body to sort of uh pull, pull off these fight scenes and make them look graceful um Allegra, I think, threw a few punches at Esperanza, which, to be fair, to be fair, I'm sure there's like nuances to, to, uh, stage combat or scripted combat where you know you don't want to actually hurt the person and you need to punch in a specific way. Those those punches were just sort of strange. Um, one of them was like half slap, half punch. Um, when Esperanza won, I was like, yeah, no, that, that seems fair enough. Um, I do think Sue, while I don't think, I, I think it's all part of the package to, oh, Sue's a badass, Sue's a badass, you should like Sue, because Sue's a badass. I don't think it's so good that it sells me on that, but I do think it's good enough that, like, hey, this character, you know, has a history of being an outlaw, and, you know, you should believe that she has, you know, some badass skills. I'm like, she's not doing anything to detract from that. 
Whereas Allegra, who supposedly also has a criminal past, oh, that was quite the noise. Those those fight scenes were were bad. I actually I agree with you, Dimitri, and I hate agreeing with you because I always feel like you should be wrong. But I don't know. It's it's just it it comes in your tone. But um. I do agree. Like, the funny thing about this, and this is like, it really is funny as in comical, because we've seen Allegra training, like working out with Frost. We've seen them hit the gym together, that little makeshift gym that they have in Star Labs. So you would think that she would be just a tiny bit proficient in fighting, and outside of the fact that she also, you know, she, she's been in jail before and that sort of thing. So, but you would think she'd be able to defend herself. At least, you know, we've actually seen her training with Frost as opposed to, like, everybody else on Team Flash. Which, you know, none of them seem to have any fight training at all. Not even, like, hand-to-hand combat, boxing. They don't have any training. So it kind of makes sense when the villains, you know, always have the upper hand and they take them down with a punch or with a trip or, you know, they drop a banana peel on the floor and they slip. You know, it just makes sense because they don't know how to defend themselves. But you would have thought that Allegra would have. And and, and it just it, it didn't work. Um, can I just say, though, that I am glad that Allegra and Esperanza did have hand-to-hand combat. Because if it would have just have been like a talk no jitsu situation, I probably would have vomited. Well, yes, because uh, it, yeah, because uh, it turns out that Ultraviolet has made a deal with the doctor; he'll restore her voice if she kills Allegra and her whole team. So, Ultraviolet fights, and Allegra tries to convince her cousin not to believe the doctor, but the doctor goads her into trying to kill Allegra. But then Allegra's powers level up, transforming Allegra into a glowing being who makes short work of Ultraviolet and the Doctor. So this was not sort of, you know, expected talk no jitsu. You would have thought that if Allegra was going to be proven right, she would have talked her cousin down. The cousin would have shot at the Doctor and then, uh, you know, they embrace. But no, instead, she just gets a mysterious power burst and blasts them both. The kingdom come. Uh, back to Star Labs, uh, Allegra has no explanation for how she powers up, but Caitlin thinks they can save her cousin. So the talk no jitsu, uh, as, uh, as Jeff was alluding to, didn't work, but it seems like Allegra got the win somehow. Dimitri, how did you feel about this resolution and uh, the, uh, the heart light of Captain Marvel, I mean Allegra? Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird because I am a huge fan of solving your problems without violent confrontation in real life. But um, if The Flash does another Talk No Jitsu episode, I'm just going to assume your free trial of The Sims that you use to do your CGI has run out and you couldn't be bothered to pay for an actual license. Because it is, one, you don't write uh with with a level that makes that believable it's like you're a good person no i'm not no for real you are a good person for real i am a good person like that's every talk no jitsu episode and i'm just i'm with jeff i'm really sick of those i i was expecting an almost more interesting ending and the reason why is because 
We have one example. I can't believe I'm about to praise Arrow. This is going to hurt. But we have one really good uh, flipping of this trope where, you know, you have to redeem a family member in the Arrowverse and specifically in Arrow with Andy Diggle because Andy Diggle is, I'm about to spoil Arrow, but I mean, listeners, you'll live. Arrow Um, died like a season and a half ago. They'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you spend almost a season believing Andy is this, you know, uh, fallen hero who Diggle is trying to uh, redeem, and it looks like he's redeemed, but then they actually flip that trope on its head, and it's revealed that he's actually been sort of a bad guy all along. And I thought, you know, the whole season I was watching, I was like, oh, this is that cliche trope where... He's going to turn it around and become redeemed. And when he betrayed them, I was like, wow, that was something I totally did not see coming. So I was wondering if we were going to be treated to similar levels of, you know, innovative writing when it came to Esperanza. But no. Um, However, I am grateful that it wasn't at least a talk no jitsu episode. It was, you know, she's good. Now she's bad again. Now she's good. I will say, though, I this is another example of, you know, characters don't match up with their background. Esperanza is basically a former professional assassin who met this doctor who is guilty of human rights violations on her specifically and was like, huh, I'm sure this guy will honor his word. Like, he doesn't seem like the type of man to bake a promise. Like, we pinky swore. I'll kill my cousin. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just also add that, um, the, uh, okay, wait, oh, Lord, I lost my train of thought, didn't I? I'll just step in and back up what uh, Dimitri said. Yeah, I agree that, you know, ultraviolet's, you know, motivations, you know, she tracked this guy down to kill him for what he did for her to suddenly go. Oh, no, you can uh, you can give me my voice back. Sure. I'll kill my family and all of her friends Um, because I trust you. Sure. Why would you betray me? It's not like you've ever done anything bad to me in the past. That uh, yeah, that uh, struck me as bad, as was the sort of deus ex machina of suddenly Allegra, who's been so underpowered, uh, you know, taps into her heart light and uh, and just blasts them both. Uh, Jeff, did you remember what you were going to say? No, the train left the station. If it returns, uh, I'll just include it somewhere else. It's fine. And also, even though the talk no jitsu didn't work, and even though uh, Ultraviolet is a known assassin, and even though Ultraviolet tried to kill Allegra and would presumably have killed the rest of the team, even though Ultraviolet did absolutely nothing as a redemptive arc in the entire episode, it looks like Caitlin's going to be able to cure her. So, way to go, Allegra. You get the W, even though you did everything wrong. Well, she is the director, so she's allowing herself to be the one to (laughs) cure her. Yeah. Yeah. It did seem a weird moral standpoint because literally, like, not not a half hour ago, literally five minutes ago, this lady was totally down to kill you. And now you're like, well, if we let her talk without a Bane voice, I'm sure she'll stop murdering people. Yes. So basically what the, uh, the rares of the Flash are saying is all mutes are evil. So if you're a mute listening to this, uh, address your uh, your complaints to the Berlanti uh, team of writers. 
Uh, Joe meets up with Kramer at a bar and she tells Joe that she understands why he was suspicious. She then gives him a photo and tells him the backstory. The soldier that betrayed her uh, was a man she regarded as a brother named Adam Crake, and they grew up together. She didn't know he'd sold him out, but the night before, he had been trying to convince her not to go on that final mission. She's dealing with the guilt of not realizing uh, that something was up because everyone she was responsible for died, and she feels like she failed because she was blind to someone she loved. Uh, Jeff, do you believe Kramer? Do you think Joe can trust her? And do you think this revelation might allow her character to be redeemed? <sighs> that size says a lot. All right. All right, all right. Kristen Kramer. I get what they were trying to do. You know, she's an indigenous woman. You know, that's supposed to, like, immediately make us sympathetic towards her and what she's gone through, and she had that one connection, and then she trusted him, and then he betrayed her. But I still don't understand how all of that is her motivation to do everything that she's doing. So to me, like, they're just, things aren't adding up for me, even though they've laid her past and her cards all out on the table. It's the same thing like over on Black Lightning. You know, we had a Latina as the police chief. And she was anti-meta. And was I supposed to feel for her because she was the first Latina, the first woman as the police chief of Freeland. Yet I was completely disagreeing with everything that she was doing. Like, you know, just because you're, you're making them, them being both the police chief over on... Uh, Black Lightning, and now this new police chief, just because you're making them marginalized people, you know, it, it isn't going to make me sympathetic to their causes if I feel that they're doing the wrong thing. And so I, you know, I get that they're giving her the sympathetic backstory. I'm going to assume, because no surprise here with the writers, that they are going to redeem her. I don't know if that redemption is going to feel really earned or if it's going to be palatable. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where this story goes. Clearly, Papa Joe has now agreed to find this man, but it's like, what is this side adventure about? Like, isn't it about taking Kramer down and stopping her from implementing all of these anti-meta things on the show? Like, I, I'm very confused as to what this is about. My hope, beyond hope, is that they don't tie this into Godspeed. Like, I don't want Adam Creek to be Godspeed. But, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I'm, I can't even believe that I put that out there, but I'm putting it out there because you I don't want that, that to happen. You say that, but that's totally where my mind went. I know, but I'm like, I don't want that, so I'd much rather put that energy out there than uh, energy that's accepting of it. But, ugh, because it's like, yeah, I don't know. So far, what they've said about this man, it looks like he might be too far gone, which I guess if he is Godspeed, then that might be a good thing, because that means maybe they'll have to take him down. Um, interestingly enough, like we've talked about the, the talk no jitsu, and I've already expressed that I'm exhausted with it, and I'm ready to hurl the next time it happens. Interestingly enough, based off of my research about Godspeed in the comics, like Godspeed is more so like a chaos neutral type of character. So if the talk no jitsu would have made sense for any character that we've seen thus far villainous uh, on the flash, it would have made sense for Godspeed. 
but because I'm so Takno Jitsu'd out, just kill the motherfucker. Like, I, just kill Godspeed. Like, you know, you know, Barry, do the little hand thing and shove it in his heart and just kill him. Because I just can't have him talk this man down. Dimitri, it did seem like they gave uh, Kramer, you know, uh, a fair bit of screen time to explain, you know, the sense of responsibility she feels, you know, to the members of her, her team who died and, you know, even lines like, you know, all the empty dinner tables and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, lost in that, you know, so, OK, so you have a thing against uh, uh, this guy. And we did have a mention like six episodes ago that uh, a meta betrayed her team. Uh, but, you know, would it have been, you know, would it have been useful to get the idea that, you know, Adam is a meta because that wasn't mentioned when she was talking to Joe, um, you know, and why that would lead her to want to hunt down all metas. It, it, it doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, were you buying it or are we just accepting it because Joe accepts it? I'm going to push back on Jeff a little bit. And um, I will like say Kramer? of all the cliche reasons to believe in someone bad, they are my family and I feel responsible for them. They were my former lover and I feel responsible for them. They are my friend who once heroically saved my life and I feel responsible for them. I will say this was I thought a refreshing, a refreshingly human one. As a man of color, I, I do have friendships that emerged from we were the two people of color in a predominantly white space. And I, I do feel like that was a remarkably simple but remarkably sympathetic new take on this is why I won't kill this bad person. Um, I... I will say also, we don't get a lot of native representation on on TV in general. So I'm, I'm going to be honest, I thought Kramer was white this whole time, uh, especially with that Karen-esque threatening to <laughs> arrest Joe. But uh, She is an indigenous Canadian woman. She's, I will she's say an that. indigenous woman, and I, I am here for more indigenous representation, I think. That that is a good thing. I thought um, there was a nuance in the sort of revelation that she told Joe that I would have loved to see in her initial outburst. I would have loved to get the same impression that this is a three-dimensional character. Um, and uh, and I, I, I am interested to see where this story goes um, after her performance on this last scene, I do think the two performances were not of equal caliber. I think the outburst was very flat, very two-dimensional. Um, and then this was more humanizing. I hate to say it, Jeff. I'm 99% sure Craig is Godspeed. But um, I am interested to see how she goes about this. Yeah, I love that you called her Karen-esque. That was magical. Uh, in the stinger, Frost is hunting down Chill Blaine, who she assumes has escaped from prison, but it turns out he followed her lead and now claims he's one of the good guys. Uh, clearly, this is a love interest for Frost, but Jeff, do you think there might be something more, a bigger arc for Chill Blaine, or is it just to give her something to do? There is or a bigger arc. to do. Uh, well, yeah. Well, both of that is going to happen. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's a bigger arc for him. I, I think uh, there's more to the story. Um, I'm recalling an interview very early on in the season with the showrunner that basically said they initially planned on just having Chill Blaine during that first graphic novel, but uh, because of the chemistry and because of the actor sort of like really giving his all and seeming to have fun with the role, they expanded his presence into the next graphic novel. So I, I think that's the tease that we're getting. You know, this is, you know, them sort of, whatever they did, retooling the arc and adding him in uh, and, and to, you know, give him more stuff to do. And I will say this, I know that Dimitri... I don't think liked him. I know that he doesn't like Frost, so probably anything dealing with Frost is going to get the thumbs down. But I do like their chemistry, even though it was sort of, like, weirdly done a couple times. Like, I, I liked it the first time they were together at the bar and, you know, the first episode that we discovered who Chillblain was. The second time, for me, was a little um, cringy, but, uh, but there is chemistry there. There are sparks um, so I, I like their, uh, their chemistry and I'm curious to see where this goes. Uh, I like Frost, so having her get a love interest that's also got the iciness, um, you know, they'll melt each other, which, uh, might be kind of nice to see. I take offense to that, Jeff. Jeff really thinks that just because I don't like Frost as a character that I am going to carry that prejudice over into her love interest, which is absolutely not true. I hate him because he sucks all on his own. Okay, Chill Bland is. is an extraordinarily cardboardy character. Um, their chemistry, as Jeff calls it, is non-existent. And the dialogue, <laughs> I have seen... I have seen, like... I'm pretty sure there is more nuanced dialogue navigating chemistry in like shows depicting preteens than these two supposedly adult people. They literally have lines like, you like me. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. It, it Wait, so did you just watch. admit that you're watching erotically charged preteen shows? I'm not, no, not erotic. I'm talking like... I don't know, like Arthur or something had better dialogue navigating a crush. Like Lizzie McGuire had better dialogue navigating a crush. Literally shows where the characters are half these two ages. It, it, that's literally what their dialogue sounds like to me. Like two awkward teenagers. It's the, the writing between them is just so, so bad. And they have no chemistry to make it any better. Well, I will say this, and this is just a general statement about the Flash writers. I can even say this about the Supergirl writers. They do not know how to write romantic scenes well. They just really don't. Like, the fact that we had... Well, number one, we didn't have any Candace Patton in this episode. Number two, we had to get a flashback to that incredibly cringe Chester catches Barry and Iris having sex in the Star Archives scene. Like, did we have to really relive that in, you know, like, sepia tones? Like, it just, I was like, come on, people. But, yeah, I, I will say this. The Flash writers and even the Supergirl writers, they really don't know how to write 
romance as well. I mean, they can get it right with like maybe a character, like a pairing, but then they'll stumble like other pairings. Uh, you know, they seem to write Brainy and Nia really well over on Supergirl. Uh, to an extent, also um, Kelly and uh, and Alex, but a lot of Kelly and Alex was like telling us that they love each other versus really showing us. Like, we didn't see them fall into the romance. It just sort of happened. Over here, I mean, they've gotten Barry and Iris right. They've gotten um, Joe and Cecile right. But it's like other romances, like, don't... It's just weirdly written. Like, I would even say Cisco and, and Camilla. Like, did we really see the build-up to them being a couple? Like, yeah, so... I blame the Flash writers. They don't. I don't think they really know how to write romance. I I gave them a, a pass with Camilla simply because I thought that that actress had had a good presence that allowed them to skip a little bit of the buildup of the romance because we already. I thought she had a really good introduction. Chill Blaine. No. Okay. I, I feel the need to remind you that there's a scene where Frost literally knocks him out and then looks at him and goes, chill out, and then pauses as if that was a witty thing to say. That, that's, that's the skill of dialogue between these two characters. Dimitri, let it go. I think that's a, I think that's a bit of a weakness of, of the Flash writers occasionally because you got Sue doing that a couple of times in this episode as well. Um, it, it's like they think they're writing, uh, you know, for uh, David Caruso uh, on CSI, uh, you know, with the supposedly, uh, you know, witty comebacks. It's you don't need that. Not everyone needs to be a, you know, the uh, the the dry wit of an action hero. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on to the MVP section, uh, are there any things that we miss talking about? Uh, if anyone wishes to uh, ship Chester and Allegra speak now and then forever hold your peace. We never got Kate Co, but we may just get. I haven't figured out their ship name yet. Chessgra? Chesslegra. Chessgra. Chesslegra. Chesslegra. That sounds like a disease. Actually, I, I was thinking it sounds like a drug that you use for erectile dysfunction. Oh, yeah. Ask you your doctor Chess Chesslegra is right for you. Yeah. Do you like them, Dimitri? A legster, as we shall now call them. Yeah. After the disturbing Viagra reference, yeah, um, was I, I, I honestly feel um, that you know it, it's literally like I give half a fuck about Chester, I give half a fuck about Allegra. Put them together, and I'm like, huh? Oh, that's cute. I, I'll watch that. Like, I'm invested in seeing that happen. Um, so I, I thought that that was kind of a clever way to get us a little bit more invested in these two characters. I mean, we, we are so far gone from the original romance that fueled the show, which was Barry's unrequited love for Iris, right? Um, mm-hmm. We start out this show where Barry's this very sympathetic, sort of hapless nerd, and Iris is like the cool, beautiful girl who's seemingly you know cares deeply for him but is somewhat out of his his reach and is is with someone else um and barry's now transformed into this like semi arrow guy but also barry and iris are very very settled 
Um, and you know, I'm I'm so happy for West Allen. I love seeing them all the time. But there's no there's no conflict coming from that relationship. So seeing us navigate a new relationship, it, it's it's cute. It harkens us back to the cuteness that began this show. And um, it, it's something I was hoping they were going to do a little bit with Cisco when they introduced Camilla, or Cisco, uh, you know, if he had ever gotten with Caitlyn because <laughs> that was destiny. Um, but Snowberry uh, fans but- would disagree. Snowberry fans should not speak. Um, but uh, I, I do, I do think, you know, this is this is a very new team. Flash. I had to remind myself that technically we've only lost one character, but this whole episode we're struck by how different Team Flash looks because Papa Joe, while he's still on the show, is taking a back seat. Cecile sort of doing her own thing. The core, like, people who are manning Star Labs have largely changed. And we're not invested in them in the same way. And this, I think, is a cute idea to get us a little more invested in two of them. Yeah, that's true. I like Chester more than Allegra. So I'm intrigued by this. It's it's sort of like an opposite attract like situation. Paula Abdul would be proud. So I'm I'm okay with the journey. The professor seems to hate it completely. But my Easter egg is red from Black Lightning. Kristen Kramer, you know, as much as I kind of like harped on her a lot in this episode, she was reading some sort of file that had the photo of Red, who was a villain, over on Black Lightning. And I've got to say, that little scene gave me all the feels because it just reminded me of what they used to do on these Arrowverse slash CWverse shows. Like, Sure, we enjoy the spectacle of a big crossover where all of our heroes are together fighting, you know, the big bad and that sort of thing. And yes, that is lovely for what it is. But I like the tiny crossovers, the little mentions, the winks and the nods to the other shows. Like, I remember a season where, you know, character X on show Y was like, oh, I just got off the phone with Cisco. I just, you know, got an email from Felicity. We had that episode of The Flash where, you know, they pick up a newspaper and it said, Oliver Queen is the mayor. Like, I like those little call-outs to the other shows. You know, uh, Batwoman being on the cover of Catco magazine. I miss that, and uh, it was a tiny little thing in this episode, but it really made it seem like, as they like to say over on Marvel, you know, it's all connected. Yeah, you wonder who's responsible for that. Like, it's it's probably not a writing thing or a directing thing. I wonder if that's a production assistant or the production designer uh, who thinks to add a little touch like that. But it's it's so easy to do that and give that sense of a shared universe. You don't need to put it in the script. You don't need to have crossovers. You don't have to have, you know, uh, very special episodes where someone comes over and guests. It can just be little things like that that, mm-hmm. you know, help you know, build out that, that sense of being in a shared world. And we were talking about that, uh, you know, on the, uh, the Superman Lois uh, podcast, how Superman Lois, even though we know after crisis, they were on the same world as everyone else, they might as well not be because there is zero contact, even though, and of course this becomes the problem is once you are all in the same world, you know, when you're dealing with a, a massive calamity, why don't you just call up Supergirl or Superman or the Flash or whomever uh, to help out? 
but yeah, no, I agree. I, I caught that uh, that little reference as well. And uh, and yes, uh, while the character was uh, uh, thoroughly hateable, it was delightful to see him back. Uh, okay, so now it's time for the MVP. Say which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Jeff, who is your MVP? Oh gosh. Um, okay, I'm not going to pick one of the main ones just because I wasn't that impressed. I'm going to give it to Chester. Chester, we didn't even talk about this, but he nearly died twice in this episode. The poor man was, like, knocked back so many times he broke his freaking arm, uh, you know, the second time. Uh, but outside of that, uh, I, I liked Chester. I liked uh, Brian, uh, Brandon. McKnight, not the singer, Brian McKnight. Uh, Brandon McKnight did a really good job in the episode. He brought what needed to be brought with his character. He was light and bubbly and, and supportive. Um, you know, the, you know, the interest in Allegra at the end was intriguing to me. Uh, I, I enjoyed him thoroughly as a character in this episode. I thought he was a good uh, B-team supporter in, in the episode. Uh, and I thought he, what he said a lot of the times really made sense. So I'll give it to Chester. I'm not calling him Chuck. Dimitri, who is your MVP? Cosan with Jeff. I don't get why they were calling him Chuck. Just just call him Chester. Um, I, I'm going to say... I'm going to give this to Allegro. This was clearly a please give a fuck about me episode. Um, <laughs> but I think historically, a lot of these episodes have gone a lot worse. Cough, Sue. Cough, cough. Cough, elastic man. Oh, elongated man. Ralph. Cough, cough. Um, so I, I do think, you know, this vaguely made sense. And... I've spoken at length about how I do feel the quality of this show has has really fallen. But I do think this was a semi-believable give-a-fuck-about-me episode. If if you and Chester become a thing, I, I am down to to give, you know, one fuck about the pair of you. Um, you know, which which is a whole fuck more than I, I give about Sue. Or a lot fucks. of the other characters that have been uh, sort of rapidly introduced in later seasons so you know props props for for carrying this episode at least semi-decently i i can't comment on your spanish um but you know maybe maybe tighten that up so jeff doesn't have to drag you next episode we might care about you yet allegra so while Dimitri is choosing the whiny millennial who sets free a mass murderer, I'm going to choose the kick-ass woman of a certain age uh, who kept mopping up for all of Allegra's problems. I'm choosing Sue. Uh, Sue How saves dare Allegra's you ass call her repeatedly. a woman of a certain age? <laughs> Sue, I, Sue's got to be in her 30s. Um, Sue is, uh, she, uh, she takes down Ultraviolet despite not having any powers. She saves Allegra's ass twice. Uh, you know, she was absolutely right. She should have just hauled off and slapped Allegra after that comment of, you just have to pull harder. What do you know, you stupid millennial? Uh, and she looked great during that fight scene. Uh, I love the, uh, the, uh, the trick that they, uh, did with the wire because as I was watching the fight, I was noticing the wire thinking, is that a mistake? Should that be in the shot? And then, ah, no, actually it turns out she's using that. Uh, so I like that. 
Okay, it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Dimitri, you are going first. How would you rate this episode? I'm going to give it an 8. I kind of cared. I was able to watch the whole thing. And that's saying a lot, given, you know, how many new characters were at the forefront of this episode. And the fact that the leading couple was away for this episode. I think that's more impressive than we'd give it credit for. So, still not a stellar episode. A lot of cringe writing, a lot of cringe dialogue. I couldn't care less about Chilblain. But... Good, good vehicle for Chester and Allegra, I thought. Jeff, how would you rate the episode? All right, I did a Google search. Um, Natalie Dreyfus is 34. Uh, so See, she's a, age she's, appropriate. She's a millennial as well. A woman of a certain oh, age would be a like... difference between millennial and 34. Uh, well, no, because you're thinking we of... could get the professor to reveal how old he is? Probably not. He's, he's probably a man commented. of a certain age. But um, but you might be referring to Generation Z, which is under millennials, which is very different. But uh, but yeah, I think I would think a woman of a certain age would be like fifties. I don't know, maybe I don't know. But I did also find out that she's the niece of actor Richard Dreyfus. Oh, interesting. And do yes. you have a rating? I do have a rating. I am not going to give it an eight like Dimitri. I'm going to give it a seven and a half, which isn't that big of a difference. But I, I feel like it makes a stronger impression because uh, I feel like eight is just too nice for this. Um, it was an okay episode. I was invested. I was somewhat entertained. I was somewhat annoyed. But I did have fun at the parts that I was supposed to have fun. And I guess I got annoyed at the parts where maybe they didn't think I was going to get annoyed, but I ended up getting annoyed anyway. Um, it was an okay episode. I don't know if I would call it rewatchable. But there were some parts that were interesting, so props to Danielle Panabaker for, for those parts. And the other parts, I'll just blame the writers. Um, I'm looking at you, Kristen Kramer. Uh, I'm going to come in a little lower than that. I'm going to give it a 7. I was not impressed by this episode. I didn't think it was a bad episode. I mean, we have left behind the the horror that was the uh, you know the uh, the forces uh, saga. Uh, so let us all be thankful for that. But I just you know uh, to mirror what Dimitri was saying, if if I don't care about the character, then it's very difficult for me to get invested in the arc. And when it's a character that I don't care about, making stupid decisions and having me backed up and saved by other people repeatedly, uh, and then. Uh, you know, every mis- every decision she made was the wrong one. And then to get saved by a total deus ex machina out of nowhere, your heart starts glowing and you get more power. Oh, yeah, that was that was earned. Um, it just felt so cheap and lazy in terms of the writing that, uh, yeah, uh, I was not a big fan of this episode. But join us next time for a brand new installment of The Central City Citizen. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives.
You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks. Now to my co-host. Please wish the listeners a good night, starting with Dimitri. Good night, Central City. And Jeff. Allegra's Generation Z. Sue is a millennial. Good night, Central City. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, download new episodes of the Central City Citizen every Thursday by Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio Archives. Good night.